I'm reminded there's a scene in the Bible as we're opening up this morning I'm going to pray but there's a scene in the Bible if y'all can just close your eyes with me for a minute and just put yourself in that place I want you to picture this scene with me Jesus is with his disciples and he said let's get in the boat and go to the other side that's what he told them and they're now, there's, you know, the disciples are in the boat with them, and among them are very experienced fishermen, people who are used to being in the water. They've seen all kinds of storms in the water. They know what it's like to handle a boat. And they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and Galilee is known for these storms, these squalls that come in that are just absolutely treacherous. And one of those happens, and they're bailing water I mean, to the point that even these experienced fishermen, the storm was so bad that even these experienced fishermen are, 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 are fearing of their life. And Jesus is asleep in the back. How many of us 
feel like we're going through a trial and Jesus is asleep. So the disciples, they, they wake him up. They say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? How many of us have wondered whether or not he cares? And Jesus wakes up. He goes to the edge and he speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. And they become absolutely still and calm. I want you to put yourself there. How absolutely freaked out that would make you. And they ask each other, who is this? Because you see in the scriptures, there's only one person that can speak to the wind and the waves, and they listen. And that's Yahweh. And Jesus said to them, why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you trust? Now what exactly is it they were to trust in? Before they got in the boat, Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He had already said what was going to happen. But they were seeing circumstances, not his word. Lord, as we open your word today, as we read and study it together, I pray you would touch our hearts, that you would build us up in that same faith, even as Jesus sought to build up the hearts of the disciples in that trial, in that moment, that our hearts would be built up as we open your word. We would understand that you are good. We would understand that you are God. And we would be built up to know you more in our most holy faith. Lord, help me. I'm going to be faithful to share what you've written. May it be what's on your heart. May it be what comes from your throne. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Mm. That's a crazy picture, isn't it? It's a crazy scene. I mean, for us, we were just singing about it, right? You know, you commanding the wind and the waves. It's, and it's easy to sing about and go, wow, you know, you're the guy that commands the wind and the waves. It's a whole lot different to be in the boat sitting there needing him to do it. Um, and then it's also a whole lot different being the one who hears him say, let's go to the other side, but facing the wind and the waves going, which one do I believe? Um, 
many know that, that there is difficulty in this life? There is struggling in this life. That this life, in fact, if you wanted to define this life, life could be dis, dis, uh, defined as struggle. As struggle. Rosaria Butterfield writes in her book, she, um, this is the, the, the unlikely thoughts of, a, uh, um, of an English, um, English teacher, the convert, becoming a convert, unlikely thoughts. That's not the exact title, I'm getting it wrong, but she writes this in her book and she says this. She says, what we as believers fail to recognize is we go through the trials and tribulations that we face in this life and they're hard and they're frightening. But we don't go through them without hope. We have an anchor that, that uh, actually holds us through them. When the wind and the waves are blowing, there's a rock we're standing on that doesn't move. We're not on sand that's sinking as the wind and the waves are blowing. It may feel like we are, but we're not. And we have this hope. And we're anchored on this hope. And this is what she says. She says, you know, and she was recalling the years in which she was uh, not a believer, not walking in this. She says, we fail to recognize this. And what we miss is that uh, those in the world just have nothing but hard and frightening. They don't have hope. We have hard, frightening, and hope. They have hard and frightening. And so what's that become? What that becomes is when you're living in the world and you're living for the world, you're always running around trying to find that place where you can have some hope, where you can have a little respite, where you can get away, where you can have a little break, where you can have happiness, but it's fleeting. It doesn't last. This is why we are called as believers to lay our life down in this world because our hope is eternal. This is what's temporary. We're not looking for temporary moments. We're living through temporary for that which is permanent. Does this make sense, everybody with me? Because this is not, you know, this is my fear in talking about subject like this and, and, uh, and, and dealing with this. Is It's so easy for this to become Christian platitude. I mean, no, Christian platitude. You know, just stick, you just got to have faith, brother. You know, just stick in there, sister. This, uh, and, and this is so much more than that. So much more than that. You see, when, when, when we begin to have intimacy with Christ and we begin to see him for who he is, we begin to know him, he actually begins to live through us and there is an anchor, there is a solidness to what we face. Does it make it less difficult? No. It wasn't less difficult for Jesus. Father, if there's any other way, it wasn't less difficult, but it also says, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame enduring the cross so that he would sit down at the right hand of the Most High. Do we get this? Because I, I feel like as believers, it, it, there's, there's so often, and, and, I've, and I've heard it, I've, I've heard people teach this, that, that we're looking for happiness instead of looking for purpose does it make sense y'all queuing you with me all right so we're um i'm doing a, a series through 
the book of 2 Peter, I'm calling it From Faith to Love, From Faith to Love. This is, um, I introduced it last time I spoke, and we, we talked about this, 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 uh, this book. It's actually a letter. Peter's writing this letter, and it's a love letter. Um, it's an, a letter of encouragement. Uh, in it, it tells us that Peter knows he's, he's not long for this earth. It's, if you will, Peter's last words. It's what would Peter say if he had to leave? It's how would he encourage us if he's not going to be around to encourage us anymore? And that's, that's what this letter is about. And I, I've just been stuck in it. I can't get off of it. In fact, I've just been stuck in the first few verses, quite frank. Just quite frankly, I'm just over, reading it over and over and over again and, and plumbing it and plumbing it. And so we're going to go through this. I'm, going to, I'm doing this. I'll be doing this on Sunday mornings. I'll be also be doing it on Wednesday nights when we... This, uh, this Wednesday, we're going to finish up Revelation, as I said, and I'll be doing this on Wednesday night. So if you're, if you're interested in this series and subject, check out the, the, the first one that's kind of introducing this. I'm going to bring in some more today. We'll cover what we get, and I'm going to keep going on this. I'm going to keep teaching this. So we're going to go through here and, and, and begin to just uh, break it down step by step. Now, that said, uh, let me read the first 15 verses. Um, This is what Peter says in the first 15 verses, kind of his introduction to the letters, the first section. He says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and mercy be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a great... I mean, look at his heart. He wants grace and mercy multiplied to us. Now, his divine power, talking about Jesus, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us, if we know him, who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. There are promises. Promises, that means things that are going to come to pass, so that through them, the precious and great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, the death that came into the world from the beginning is going to be overcome. We will be experiencing resurrection. It has been promised to us, and we need to hold on to it, and we have everything that we need to live life and godliness now until that time comes. That's what Peter's telling us. And this is what he says. For this very reason, because of this, because of everything I just said, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge your knowledge with self-control, your self-control with steadfastness, your steadfastness with godliness, your godliness with brotherly affection, and your brotherly affection with love. Notice he started with faith and ended with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities, these eight qualities he just mentioned, if these are yours, in other words, if you make them part of your life, and, and are increasing, you continually work on these things in your life, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, which I am, so I gotta take my glasses off to read, right? 
is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many are looking forward to resurrection? How many are looking forward to making these qualities the sure way to have resurrection a part of your life? I got no amens on that one. Oh my, oh my, there you go. Thank you. Uh, that's honest. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. And now we have this letter. And now we have this letter. I want you to catch something here because it's so easy to look at the Bible. It's like, this is a holy book. A guy sat down and wrote a letter because of what is on his heart and how much he cared. And, and not only that he cared about what was going on then, but he cared about us. That this would get passed on to all believers at all times. And we're... We're actually connecting with the Apostle Peter right in this moment. Let me just think about it that way. All right. So the whole basis of his letter, he mentioned it several times in this first section. The whole basis of this letter, and this is what we talked about in our first message, Peter's stated goal is that we might know Jesus in a real, tangible, personal manner. His grace and peace would be multiplied to you. Real, tangible, and personal. Number two, that everything that we need for life and godliness is found in knowing Jesus. Knowing doesn't simply mean knowing about him. It means knowing him intimately. And everything that we need for life and godliness is found in that relationship. Number three, that knowing Jesus means being effective and fruitful in this world. Let me say that again. Knowing Jesus means being fruitful and effective in this world. You, you can't have met him and known him and have a relationship with him and not be changed by it. And it not make a difference. Number four, oh, it's one, two, three. Number four, I need to write numbers down. That knowing Jesus means we escape the coming judgment of this world. And he talks about this uh, a couple of chapters later in chapter three. When we know him, we escape the coming judgment, which means there's a coming judgment. What do you think we call it saved? Saved from what? Saved from the judgment, from the wrath that's coming. You know, that should cause us two things. It should cause us fear because, oh my Lord, what's it going to be like to come before a holy living God? A righteous judge. should cause us fear, and it should also cause us peace. Because everything we think that happens and gets away with doesn't. Doesn't. Now, that also scares me. 
And then finally, knowing that Jesus, knowing Jesus means we obtain a resurrection from the dead in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Ultimately, there will be a new heavens, there will be a new earth, and we will dwell in that in resurrected righteousness. I mean, like, read that, and that just seems like so unreal. Anybody brave enough to raise their hand? Man, there are times when I stop and I will think about this. I'll really stop and think about this. Why? Because it's hard when we're facing all the hard things that we go through in this life to realize, you know what? There is a purpose and a meaning beyond this. I need to live through this so that he can bring his, the fullness of what he intended from the beginning about through us. All right. So that was, that's the whole basis of the letter. Now, if our goal is, is then to increase in knowing Jesus. If that's what we're called to do, to increase, that's what he said, um, uh, to, to increase in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we increase in knowing him? How do we develop that? And he gives us eight qualities, eight qualities, and we have to increase in them. And we're going to start talking about the first one today. That's, that's our goal, is to begin the conversation on the first quality. So it says this in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement, supplement, that's, I just made up a word there, to supplement uh, your faith with virtue, uh, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, your self-control with steadfastness, your steadfastness with godliness, your godliness with brotherly affection, your brotherly affection with love. For if you have these qualities, these eight qualities, they're yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in knowing Jesus. So he's telling us how to know Jesus. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in knowing him. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So what Peter is doing here, this is, a, this is actually a literary technique. For those that like to geek out on Bible, uh, you know, um, Bible nerd stuff, I'm about ready to give you a Bible nerd fact. This is a, this, this, using a list like that is called a sortie. And it was a common technique that was used in its day. Roman literature, Greek literature, other places in, um, uh, uh, in, the, in the, the letters, the apostles used it, other places in the scripture. It's called a sortie. And it's a literary technique that was common. So when Peter's audience is reading it, they would have been familiar. But one thing we need to know about it is that it's meant to give us things that stair step. One builds on the other. Here's the foundation, here's the next step, the next step, and the next step, and the next step. That's the first takeaway from this. So when we take that away, we need to read these things and look at these things and say, how is faith the foundation? How does virtue be the next one on top of faith? How is knowledge, because, oh, and I get to think about it, I say, wait a minute, knowledge is about intimacy, about knowing Jesus, why isn't that first? Why is faith the foundation and not that one first? You know, we ask these kinds of questions, begin to, to open up and understand this a little bit more. So... Um, so we have these eight qualities. Now, what's, now it's a couple of things that are interesting. The fact that it's eight is not an accident. It's not an accident. Number eight is a scriptural number. Okay? How many, no, how many days are there in a week? Seven. Very good. Not eight. If Don't say eight, please. There's seven. Seven days in a week. Seven over and over in the Bible is the number of completion. It's a completion. It's a cyclical completion. Right? The cycle is completed. And we start the cycle over. You go to seven, you start it over. You've completed it, you start it over. You complete it, you start it over. If I want to break the cycle, what do I need? Eight. The, the cycle stops. When you get that, that is, a, that is a Hebraic 
picture of understanding the number eight. They see the cycle of seven. Life is all about seven. Life is all about seven. God's going to create the new heavens and the new earth. That is the eighth day. Guess what day Jesus rose on? The eighth day, first day of the week, right? That was the eighth day. Sabbath, Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday, the first day. New beginning, new beginning. There's a feast, the last feast of the year. is the feast of Sukkot. It's seven days long, and there's one day added on the end of that feast. It's called Shmini Etret. Guess what Shmini Etret means? Eighth day, new beginning. We're starting over. It's a brand new year. So he's got these eight qualities. What is he telling us? It's if we are going to live to resurrection, we're living towards the new beginning. We're living towards the eighth day. We're living towards when all of this is completed. This is the means. This is the path towards living out what we were intended to live out, to, to bring about what he intended to bring about. In the end of the book, it tells us this. In the end of the book, it tells us that we actually play a part in how soon Jesus comes back. That's a commercial for when we get there, so we won't go into that right now. All right. So in our text, the first quality that we see, let me make sure I hit everything here. Um, Ah, I wanted to say this. There's something also unique about Peter in this in this now, most scholars, if you if you if you again if you're a Bible nerd and you read all these things, you'll know that some scholars will argue that Peter didn't actually write this letter because stylistically it's very different from First Peter because stylistically it includes a lot of Greek and Roman uh, allusions among the Old Testament allusions and um, the gospel allusions in it, and so they say, well, you know, this doesn't really sound like Peter. The problem with that is 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 that it was very well known in the day for, for writers to use scribes. Scribes would actually write out. They would tell them, this is what you write about. They'd write it out, and then the, the authors would edit it. Okay? And First Peter ends, tells us that Silvanus was his scribe for First Peter. So we know Peter's doing this. So, and the, the fact that uh, we actually have this from Peter. Now, why is this important to know? Because there are there, these six qualities that are in the middle. Uh, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and brotherly affection. Those six qualities were well known in the Roman and Greek world. Those are all virtues of life. You know, to, to be a, a, um, um, a virtuous, to, to, to develop your knowledge, to have self-control, to be steadfast, to be godly, um, uh, which would have been like piety, uh, brotherly affection. All of these things were known in the ancient world. Faith and love would have been foreign to that list. How does Peter start it? Starts it with faith and ends it with love. He takes that which they would have well known, which would have been the path that the world said to virtuous, and he says, yeah, but it's missing something. Let me put it the frame in which it's missing. Are these characteristics good? Yes, they're a reflection of who God is. That's why you know about them. But you're missing how you actually live them. You have to start with faith and end in love. He's bracketing them with what does Paul say are the three things that last? Who knows? Corinthians. These three things last. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And this is what Peter's doing. He's starting and beginning with these two characteristics and these two qualities. Now, there are two texts here that Peter uses to talk about faith. This is in 2 Peter 1.1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior. So 
He's saying you've obtained it, which means it's a gift. He's saying that the faith that you have means that you stand equal with everyone else who has faith. He puts all of us on equal footing with God, which means we all uh, have um, the same significance in the eyes of God. And he says that it is ours because of the righteousness of God. It is not something that we earn, not something that we do. It's something that's given to us. And then we jump down to to verse 5, and it says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith uh, with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. So he builds on. So on the one side, it's something you obtain. It's something that's given to you. It's something that's granted. On the other side, it's something you develop and build out. So which one is it? And the answer is yes. Very good. Give yourself 10 points if you said yes. (coughs) Eight points. We'll do eight points. It's a new beginning. Here we go. All right. So, and we'll develop that. So we need to ask our question, what, is, what then is faith? What then is faith? Uh, this is it from taking this from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Um, imun is the Hebrew word, trustworthiness. Greek word is pistis. Um, what's interesting is uh, that, that how it's being used here um, in the first verse, this is a noun that corresponds to the verb to believe. The Hebrew imun is primarily a sense of faithfulness or trustworthiness. And imunah normally refers to the faithfulness of God, though it can be used of man's response. And it quotes Habakkuk 2.4. So what is it saying? Is that in essence, faith is faithfulness. It's trustworthiness. And in essence, it starts with the fact that God is faithful to us and we respond to his faithfulness to us with faithfulness back to him. It's relationship, in other words. It's we're trusting him as he has shown himself faithful to us. We are trusting him. This is what it's saying. And I like how Michael Heiser puts it. He, he says, a better way of understanding faith is not just something you believe. It's not a creedal statement you believe, but it's believing loyalty. It's believing loyalty. It bears the sense, not of faithfulness alone, but of the reliance of trust that is based, uh, that is the basis of man's faithfulness. The faithfulness that expresses confidence in the faithfulness of God. What is, it, what is the encyclopedia saying? It's saying this. It's saying, look, we're called to be faithful to God. But we're not called to be faithful to God so that somehow in that faithfulness, God smiles on us. We're called to be faithful to God because we trust him. The trust starts first, and from that place, we're faithful to him. Do you all follow that? All right. So, believing loyalty. Why does faith come before knowledge? Why is this the foundation? Why, does it, why is he saying that if knowledge, as Peter uses it, is refers to intimate or personal knowledge with Jesus. In other words, to know Jesus rather than to know about him. And, and then he says, you know, you got faith and virtue before knowledge. Why is faith first? Why is virtue first? Why are these the foundation and not the other way around? Um, so uh, I'm going to start with an answer for Bible nerds, and then I'll start for the answer for the rest of us. This is what... Knowledge itself begins with faith. Everything that we know begins with faith. Um, I've been, you know, I've dealt with this for a long time, trying to figure this out, trying to understand this. How many know that rational knowledge is built on logic? How many know that? 
right? Rational knowledge, you start with a premise, you have a, your sub-premise, you have your conclusion, right? And you, you build everything, everything that we use for rational knowledge, or maybe it's inductive. We look at a bunch of premises, we come to a conclusion. But it, it all starts with this process of logic. It's interesting because logic is the foundation for two of our major schools of thought. You, you go down philosophy, logic is the foundation. You go science, you start with mathematics, logic is the foundation. It's the basis when everything that we study comes from logic. But when you think about it for a minute, and there's a, there's a good book if you want to read about this. It's a new evidence that demands a verdict. Uh, John McDowell's got a whole section in the back that breaks this down for those that like to read all this stuff. But what he says is this, is that knowledge can't prove its own first principles. Now, stick with me for a minute because this will actually have meaning. Knowledge cannot prove its own first principles. For us to know something, the very first thing that we could possibly know, you can't deduct to it. You have to have something self-evident, something that exists first to build knowledge on. There has to be a bottom line. There has to be something self-evident. There has to be something that is. Right away, you should be queuing on. Is means being. Being, existence itself, that we start from and we build on. You know, and, and so what does that mean? This, think about it for a minute. We are not called human knowings. We're not called human doings. Anybody go around, hey, human knowing, how are you? We're called human beings, human beings. We start with the knowledge that we exist, that we are, and we build from there. Everything builds with this. This is why the Bible starts off. In the beginning, God. It is a statement of God's existence as a fact, and everything builds on that. In Exodus, when Moses sees him, uh, Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. The Bible describes it's a, the existence of God, starts knowledge with the fact that God is, he exists. That's what his name means, Yahweh. I'm the one who is, the one who be, the one who bees, the one who exists. All right. Well, it says the same thing about Jesus. John, in the beginning, what? Was the word. When it says that, what is it saying? The word already existed. Prior to the beginning, before anything else, the word already was. The word is eternal. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. We know him as Jesus. And Jesus actually gives these, uh, uh, echoes these words in John uh, uh, 8 when he says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? I am. I exist. So if I'm going to have intimacy with Jesus, if I'm going to know him, his existence has to be self-evident. Let's make this real. If I'm going to have an intimate relationship with my wife, if I'm going to know her, she has to actually be there. You follow? Everything that we learn and know about each other builds on the fact that we already are. Does that make sense? Okay, why is this important? Because I've heard people say, well, you know, if God would just give us enough evidence, then I would believe. The point being is it's, uh, the, our problem is not an evidentiary problem. Our problem is a moral problem. We don't believe more, uh, more often than not because we don't want to believe. Why? Because if we did believe, it would mean it would challenge how we would have to live. To the level, and I'm going to add this 
you know, for, for Christians to the level that you believe. All right, let me keep going. So, but there's a second aspect as to why. Relationship itself starts with faith. There's a, a, a famous debate, um, and it uh, was between uh, Dr. John Lennox and Dr. Richard Dawkins. I don't know if anybody's seen the debate. They actually debated a couple times. And um, in the debate, uh, Dawkins is, is talking about faith, and he sets up faith as a straw man. He, he talks about, you know, we don't have blind faith. We can't just believe for the sake and believe in uh, whatever. And he sets up a straw man. Um, uh, you know, y- y'all are just believing in, what's he call it? Uh, spaghetti monsters in the sky or something like this. Gods that don't exist. Um, and Lennox turns around and says, he says, when we trust He, says, he, said to, he said to Dawkins, he says, when you trust that your spouse loves you, that's something you trust in faith, isn't it? Where's the evidence? You trust it in faith. That's something you've taken on faith. It is funny because uh, Dawkins begins to answer. If you watch the debate, he begins to answer, and then he goes, oh, let's just leave my wife out of this. So. <clears throat> Here's my point. My faith in my wife's love becomes the basis for me to getting to know my wife better, more personally, more intimately, not the other way around. Let me say that again. My faith in my wife's love becomes the basis for me in getting to know my wife better, more personally, more intimately, not the other way around. We have to first trust a relationship before that relationship can become closer. All right, let me make this real. How many people are going to open up to somebody they don't trust? How many are going to just jump in and be intimate with somebody they don't trust? How many are just going to say, I want to really know you to the person on the street that's walking by? And it's just a pouring out, you know, your life's deepest, darkest secrets. Faith has to start first. It starts from the place of faith, and we grow in intimacy from there. I have to trust when I'm about to share this really scary thing about who I am, or this stuff that's going on in my life, or this stuff I really don't want anybody else to know, and I'm about to lay it out there, that what this other person is going to do with what I just put in their hands. It starts with faith. It starts there. All right. This is why in, in Hebrews 11.6, it Uh, The writer of Hebrews writes, And without faith it is impossible to please him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if I want to draw near, I want intimacy, I have to believe, number one, that he is, and number two, that he's got my best interest in mind, that he loves me, that he rewards those who seek after him. There's intimacy. This is why we start in faith. Um, I just want to touch on this briefly. Faith is not blind. As I mentioned that, um, Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1, 16 and 17. For since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown from the foundation of the world, 
but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in him. Sorry, I'm looking at, I'm going to tie this together. Um, you know, making this um, intimate, all of the academic stuff you know, that we're talking about, understanding why would God do it this way, how would he do it this way, comes back down to where we started. As we go through the struggles and the hard times in life, as we face both um, things in the world, I mean, look, you know, I've been, I've been really spending a lot of time praying and thinking how, how do we live out as believers in the midst of facing the pandemic that we're facing, um, what it's doing in uh, many of our lives personally, what it's doing in the world as a whole. And at the same time, you know, we've got people who are facing uh, uh, all kinds of economic issues. The, the, the ones that are hit the hardest by these things are the ones um, uh, are, are the poorest and the least able in the world. We've got suffering going on on mass levels in the world around us. There's, we're, we're as divided as we've ever been, as in we've never, you know, the nation's never been 100%, you know, one way or the other. But we're as hardline divided as we've ever been at a nation, as a nation. And that's not only here, that's happening around the world. We've got violence that's happening in our streets. Uh, um, we can't even sit down and talk to one another about this. How do we navigate through all this? I'm going to tell you, it starts with having a faith that's real. And it's real and it's based on what? I, I want you to, for a moment, as we're closing, close your eyes. You're with Jesus. And he's coming into Jerusalem about a week before he dies. And the crowds are shouting, save us, son of David. The level of hope that is in the air. They're cutting palm branches and laying them in front of him. They are about to crown the king. They are having a hope in God that God is going to kick out the Romans who are oppressing them, all of the promises of Scripture are about to come to pass. The level of hope that is built up. The disciples are excited. They've been spending three years. They've seen this guy raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal thousands. They've seen him calm the wind and the waves. They've seen him make bread out of nothing. 
They are excited as can be. They're sitting now at the Last Supper, and he's talking to them some things. What is he talking about? This cup is his blood, and this bread is his body. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't have a picture of what's about to happen. Only Jesus knows what's going to happen. They go for an all-night prayer meeting. It's like, Jesus, this is a little extreme, you know, trying to make us pray all night after we just had four glasses of wine. And then a mob shows up and arrests him. And they're shocked. In fact, they, they, they're like, okay, this is our time. We fight, right? They pull out a sword. Somebody cuts an ear off. We're ready to fight. We're ready to make this happen. And Jesus makes them put it away. What is this? And then they stand by helplessly from a distance and watch an absolute kangaroo court accuse him over and over of all kinds of false things that he didn't do. They beat the pulp out of him. They strip him naked. They make him carry his own cross and then they give him the most humiliating, shameful death you could possibly happen. They could not have been more defeated in their mind psychologically, emotionally, and physically than they were at that moment. It's over. Everything we were hoping in is dead, buried, and gone. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that was the moment of their victory. We cannot be a people who only sees the world as hard and frightening. That night, Friday night, 6.30, it is finished, Jesus said. The same way he said, we're going to the other side. And that time he got rid of the storm. This time he says, it is finished, it is done, the work is complete. But he didn't stop the wind and the waves. It was through the wind and the waves he accomplished it. We need to be those who see what is going on in the world, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I hope there's another way. But nonetheless, this is what you're going to use to bring resurrection. Let me be faithful in it because that is a demonstration of faith. Amen.